Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Candidate Confessional, the podcast that famously finished in a three-way tie for third place in the Webbies. That's basically winning an Oscar, right? More or less. Or a Tony. An Emmy. And a Latin Grammy. My name is Sam Stein. And I'm Jason Cherkis. In today's episode, we're going to go way back. Well, not that far back. We're going back to 2012. 2012. That was a year when Jason perfected his Gangnam-style dance routine in the I office. Did. I did. And Sam, you were obsessed with the Tom cruise Kitty Holmes divorce. Barely you, could work when it happened. It was didn't just see it that. coming. I was crying. And I think, well, we were called Huffington Post then. We got not the, full, the full name. So it was an interesting year in politics, too. Obviously, you had the presidential election. You had the 47% video. And I think on the Republican side of the aisle, it was a year defined by one particular soundbite. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. And so, all over the nation, Republican hopefuls followed Mitt Romney's footsteps with defiant, anti-government, pro-business messages. South Florida's Trey Radel was no exception. I'm Trey Radel. I'm not a politician, and I've never run for office. And running in Florida's 19th district, the former TV news anchor, talk radio host, and businessman had a message for the president. I'm running for Congress to tell Barack Obama and his friends that it wasn't big government that built this country and made it great. It was us, the American people. At the same time, though, uh, the 36-year-old Radel crafted a different sort of image for himself. Frequently, he was professing his love for old-school rap, especially public enemies fight the power. This is a song that in many ways reflects the conservative message of having a heavy-handed federal government. Chuck D. of Public Enemy and I may disagree on certain philosophies of government, but I think at the end of the day, and this is where I take my love of hip-hop music, of, of where you can... Okay, that goes on for a little while, but whatever you might think of his analysis of Public Enemy, this kind of thing earned Radel a catchy nickname. Well, it's uh, actually one he came up with himself. Trey Radel is the self-proclaimed hip-hop conservative. A hip-hop conservative, that's what he calls himself. A hip-hop conservative. He said he's a hip-hop conservative. But by the end of his first year in Washington, Trey Radel had earned a very different nickname. The cocaine congressman. Florida's cocaine congressman. The cocaine congressman. Cocaine congressman. He bought three grams of cocaine just a short distance from the Capitol. He bought it from an undercover FBI agent, and that was the beginning of the end for Trey Radel. just shouldn't buy cocaine from federal agents, no. especially in DuPont Circle. It seems pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Today on the show, how a young, public enemy-loving Republican with dreams of shaking up Washington and slashing wasteful spending instead became the first and only sitting congressman ever busted for cocaine possession and ended up a punchline for late-night comics. We sit down with a former lawmaker to talk about how his life fell apart and how he picked up the pieces. Welcome 
to Candidate Confessional. So, um, first of all, can you introduce yourself? My name is Trey Radel. I am the former congressman, uh, famous or infamous for getting busted for purchasing drugs as a, a sitting lawmaker. I broke the law as a sitting lawmaker and, uh, you know, have some pretty serious regrets in life, but you got to pick yourself up and keep going. And here I am. So listen, Trey, b- before you ever decided to run for office, um, I'm curious what your perception of what being a congressman was like. What do you think life would be like if you were an elected official in Washington, D.C.? I didn't ha- – I will t- start with what I, I didn't think. I didn't have any misconceptions that uh, I was going there to change the world. Um, I would say that that the life of a congressman um, fit into what I thought, that you could get some work done uh, even if it was just an inch at a time. Um, you can't go there and conquer the world or save the world. Um, I also had no misconceptions or preconceptions that Democrats and Republicans would get along lovingly and everybody would be holding hands. I mean, hell, at some points, I thought that maybe when I get to the Capitol, I'll get shanked in the hallway by a Democrat. But uh, <laughs> what I what I ended up being pleasantly surprised was, was that I found that the nicer I was or, or the, the the kinder you are to people and actually reach out to communicate with people, you can establish excellent, solid relationships. And I was really proud in my, albeit short time in Congress, to have excellent relationships with Democrats. Well, we'll get to that in a second. I'm curious about your decision to run. I mean, you were going to uproot your family and you're changing careers. You had a pretty good life as a television radio personality. And now you're going to be going into this job where you have a lot more responsibility and frankly, scrutiny. Yes, I had always wanted to serve the country in some way. And um, the congressman who was in the district before me was Connie Mack. And we had had a very close relationship for many years, still remain friends today. He called me. uh, And I, as I describe in my book, I I talk about how he just kind of cut to the chase. He's like, Trey, I'm going to run for the United States Senate. You should consider running for Congress. And I did. And I wanted to do it with the noblest intentions of working, well, you know, of, of course, for my constituents. And, yeah, but did you, uh, and, and Trey, did you have any hesitations is what Jason was asking. Like you, you, your entire life is going to be different if you go to Congress. I knew that, but no, I had no hesitation. I, I, I've, I've taken many dives into many different things professionally in my life and personally from strapping on a backpack and living off 10 bucks a day and traveling through deep South Mexico to Cambodia. I've done some crazy shit in my life in a really good, fun, positive way. Professionally, same thing. I bought I bought a fledgling newspaper uh, in the city of Naples, uh, you know, this t- tiny beach town, rebranded it, rebuilt it. I put my life on the line. I put a lot of money on the line and and I sold it for a lot of money. And, and these are great things. I don't say this to toot my own horn, but some this running for Congress, to go to your question – I, I was willing to roll the dice for something that I believed in, and I, you know, okay. I'm the cheesy guy that gets a little Boehner-like choked up when I start talking about well, this country. Well, let's and how talk much about I John Boehner because I, the, <laughs> the first, uh, so you win the primary, uh, uh, you, uh, and then the, one of the first people who comes down to your district in Naples is uh, John Boehner, and you know, well, I, I'm just going to get out of the way. What was your first impression of the guy? 
I adore that man. I, I what the the, <laughs> the first of, we moment do, from the we first do moment, here at HuffPost. We love him. Uh, yeah. Well, the from the moment that I met him uh, until today, I still have a a, a a good relationship with him. A uh, John Boehner is a man with a really really big heart. He is also very understanding. He is empathetic. He's sympathetic. And while he may have some, him and I have some uh, policy beliefs that are very different. And but regardless, the guy has done public service for a long time because he too, like Nancy Pelosi, regardless if we're, we're talking about John Boehner or Nancy Pelosi, both have good intentions. It's just how we get there. Uh, but the problem is, is the craziness of Washington is that part of getting there and how insane it becomes. Well, with t- tell us about the, of a, all right, Well, tell us about first mm-hmm. meeting him. What was that like? So, and where, where, where was the meeting? So he came to Naples uh, with the area, one of the cities that I represented. And it was after I had just been through an insanely intense campaign. And I finally had a second to breathe. And I, I, and I mean, this is after the primary. So in my district, once you win the primary, like so many others for Democrats and Republicans across the country, you win. That's it. You win the primary and you're done. By the way, side note, that, that's part of the problem with uh, the Congress today. That aside, I set up a meeting with him. To, he was going to do a fundraiser in Naples. And I set up a meeting at his hotel, the Ritz. Now, in Naples, there are two Ritz hotels because, you know, come on, it's Naples, Florida. There's the Ritz Gulf and the Ritz Beach. He was at the Ritz Gulf. And I remember it like yesterday. He walked down and I saw him across the lobby. And look, for me, I don't get starstruck. I've met plenty of celebrities, this and that. But I'm about to have a beer with John Boehner, actually, in his case, a, uh, a wine. Oh, wow. and, and I was having a cocktail. <laughs> so, But I say that because, you know, for me, who had been a political animal all of my life, I had done political radio, political talk. This is like the biggest sports fanatic, biggest basketball fanatic, sitting down with Michael Jordan to have a beer and talk. And so Boehner strolls across the lobby and um, – and even from the first second I met him, I don't know why he did this, but he always called me, Radel, Radel. And he has that deep voice. And we, we sat down. He had his Merlot. I had my <laughs> cocktail. We, uh, we went outside for a cigarette. I don't smoke, but I did bum a smoke from the, the speaker of the house. <laughs> did you And, co- um, did you, did and you we talked in he, – yeah, <laughs> he does. I did. I, <laughs> I was all right. But – um. We, we talked a lot about Cincinnati, which is where we share a hometown. Yeah. I was born and raised there. And I, I like a cheesy dude, I bought him a um, this tie that reflected his high school's colors because we went to rival high schools, you know, many different years oh apart. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I bought him this and uh, and and because I, I knew he's – look, Boehner's a stylish dude. Might Did be he cry? School, Did he cry when you gave him the tie just out of curiosity? No, no, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> but I will tell you that that later that night when we went ahead and did the fundraiser, he had to give a speech in front of the crowd. And he – John Boehner, when he does this crying thing, it his face starts to get tight. Just like Robert De Niro, the impression that everybody does of Robert De Niro in Taxi Driver when yeah. he says, are you talking to me? And Boehner's face convulses and, and transforms <laughs> into these weird spots. And he's talking that night. He's like, well, look, because by the way, his voice is like Hunter S. Thompson. I swear to God. John Boehner, his voice with how guttural it is and how many smokes and it just sounds like he <laughs> whacked down a bottle of whiskey. He could be talking about either the children and our debt and deficits or where Radel and I went to high school together in Cincinnati. And I swear I'm just waiting him 
for him to begin with like fear, loathing in Las Vegas sure. and just bust out with like, we were somewhere on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. Uh, but that night he began with uh, talking about our connection to Cincinnati and he started to well up. And, I, and that, <laughs> that moment I have my buddy campaign manager who's like, dude. I, I'll bet you 10 bucks right now he cries. Anyway, he didn't end up crying, but Boehner, who is a very good man, is a little emotional. Sure. So we'll get back to Boehner because, and, I, and for a reason. But um, you come to – you win your election, as you noted. Um, it was almost preordained um, after you made it through the primary. And sure. it seems like your first impressions of D.C. when you actually get there uh, shock you a little bit. Um in your book, you talk about how uh, you'd have these dinners or these events that are coordinated by leadership where you know, lobbyists would be in attendance uh, swarming the place and you'd have to eat steak off skewers because of the lobbying rules. Um, you sat in briefings with the NRCC, which is the campaign committee for House Republicans, and they go over targets and they would have – uh, the pictures of the friends you had made who were Democrats, people like Patrick Murphy and Kristen Cinema. Um, were you taken aback by any of it um, or was it meeting your expectations heading in? I always understood the realities of Washington, the political realities of the way that things work, but actually physically seeing it. And, and let me go to your example. You bring up the name Patrick Murphy. Um, Patrick Murphy is a Democrat from Florida who was in Congress, ran for the United States Senate against Rubio and lost. Uh, I served with Patrick. I was sworn in with him. Um, Patrick and I became close friends. And I, so I, I'm out having a beer with him one night. And the next morning, I go to a meeting and I'm told, Patrick Murphy is our top Democrat target. We are out to get him. And I, I get it. You know, I understand that these both the NRCC and, and DCCC, the political arms of each party in the House, that's what their job is. They want to retain control. They want as many members as, in as they can. So their job is to assassinate the character of anybody that could be in a swing district, anybody who's vulnerable. But, man, when you're sitting there and you're like, you know, wait a second. This is my buddy. This is a guy who – who I've grown close with, who we're sworn in together, and now I'm being told to tell him to f off. Uh, it it it's an, an unfortunate part of our political system, but that's the way that American that that's the way in my book of democracy sure. that I hope to lay out. These are the realities, and I don't really try and pass in my book. I don't pass judgment. Did you talk to Patrick about it? Like, oh, yeah, him? yeah. What'd I, I joked him? with him, of course. <laughs> yeah, you're, hey, man, you're my top target. I'll tell you, listen, there's a short, uh, <laughs> a, a very quick story I don't, I didn't get a chance to share in my book, which is there was a one point where myself, Adam Kinzinger, uh, Kirsten Cinema, and Patrick Murphy sat down for a Now This News segment. Uh, on video. And um, and it was great. It was a friendly, very cool, engaging conversation among some of the youngest members in Congress. And the next day, the head of the NRCC scolded Kinzinger, telling him, you don't do that stuff anymore. You can't appear. Those are our two tough targets. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but this, look, this is the reality in both for Democrats and Republicans of the nonsense that goes on behind the scenes. I think in in um in a, another podcast you had talked about just sort of the grind of of being in in Congress and all the meetings the fifteen minute meeting after fifteen minute meeting and at some point you're actually told you need an issue you got to have something to hang your hat on to sort of become known as tell us the story of like what you became known for I think it was sheep shearing yeah well yeah <laughs> it wasn't so much to become like known as it um here let me let me clarify that. 
So <laughs> I knew, I knew we'll get to, we'll get to, oh, to believe me, I'm not, I'm, I'll poke plenty of fun at myself and sheep shearing will be part of that. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, but, but to be clear, so we knew, I knew again, knowing sort of the realities of politics, I knew as a freshman congressman, I'm not going to come in and pass immigration reform single handedly or tax reform or whatever. Um, but what we knew is that as a freshman office, we wanted to find some areas that we could work on that were significant, most especially for my issues, which I'm a, I'm a hardcore fiscal conservative. When it comes to social issues, I am liberal or libertarian as hell, however you want to define me. With the fiscal issues, we found this, this insane example buried deep within the farm bill that uh, appropriated 50, let me be very clear here, five zero, fifty million dollars to teach people how to shear sheep. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever tried done. it? It's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah I'll, it's, I'll get to that. I'll get to maybe. trying that because the, <laughs> things got bizarre. This has been done since Moses. Okay. You go, go ahead and read about <laughs> sheep shearing in the Old Testament if you want. Um, so we thought that this was a great example of a way to cut either the appropriation or the actual spending. There's some differences, but without getting into the weeds, look at that time and still today, here we are as Democrats and Republicans arguing over, over, uh, uh food stamps for children, over social welfare programs over a national debt that's 20 trillion and i got this in this bill we find 50 million appropriated for sheep sharing so we take this and we we begin to begin our amendment to cut the sheep shearing so here's an illustration of how insane both republicans and democrats are when i believe they're in washington for too long drinking the kool-aid for too long i show up uh, one day to debate my sheep shearing amendment and I go onto the House floor, and I remember like yesterday, I pull out my headphones, I'm jamming some public enemy on my way down, ready to tear it up. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm with my fellow Republican here. Uh, this wait, guy wait, wait, who, wait, oh, hold on a minute. Which public enemy song were you jamming to before Welcome you? to the Terror Dome. Welcome so, to the Terror Dome. You dead serious? One of my rituals. That, what's wow. that? You're, you're serious. For sheep sharing. I, I, I listen, anytime that, one of the things I write about in my book is how before, especially in Southwest Florida, you walk into these We got to get through this. Do. You got We only got 20 more minutes sheep sharing. Let's I go. I know, I know. So, <laughs> listen, but, but, welcome uh, to the terror dome. Rituals, one of my rituals is to listen to either public enemy or NWA before I go into any debate. It, and even before going into octogenarian rooms playing freaking Kenny G <laughs> in Naples, Florida, where people would show up in wheelchairs. I, I that was one of my things. So, All right, so I roll into the house sharing. floor. Yeah. I rolled onto the house floor to debate sheep shearing. For purposes the gentleman from Florida seek recognition. Mr. Chairman, I have an amendment at the desk. Clerk will designate the amendment. Part B. Chuck D's words still ringing in my head, ready to tear it up. And I'm thinking to myself, I got my Republican. He's a high-ranking ag ag guy that's going to help me out here. We're going to fight this fiscal nonsense. I get to the House floor, and I begin to debate the Republican and Democrat on – well, I begin to debate what I think is the Democrat on cutting this money again as we debate sending children food stamps, whatever, I get to the floor and I make my case. We have already spent $50 million, $50 million on sheep shearing, an industry that's well, basically goes back to the Old Testament. Moses was sheep shearing. This is $50 million being appropriated for something that is nonsensical, that anybody in the private sector could do this. I've always believed that I I understand government funding for certain things if the private sector can't do it. This is about trimming the hair off of sheeps. I finish my argument. 
and I'm ready for my fellow Republican to take my back. We're going to shank this Democrat in, in, a, uh, in a debate, and we're going to run home and pop bottles of champagne. The Republican takes me on and says, I'm ridiculous, that I should, I should, I should go to Texas and shear sheep. Well, sheep shearing may not be particularly exotic, and may, from folks from Florida, may be uh, uh, beneath them. Uh, the folks from West Texas uh, take a whole different uh, view of that. Uh, and it's important to know who that Republican is. What, what's it? the Republican was Mike Conaway? Who, who that, by the way, we will get note. to it. We will get to that. I want. I don't want to give away the game. Yeah, he's a Anyways, good guy. Actually, I've spoken. So the so, sheep sharing thing passes, right? I go and, and we end up passing it, and and we went. We we had Democrats and Republican leadership whipping against us, and in explaining the case to you know Democrats and Republicans of how ridiculous it was, we won big. Congratulations. You, so got you the celebrated. Yeah. How did you celebrate? Yeah, did you celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> well, that becomes public later. After the break, the congressman's lifestyle becomes very public indeed. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm just curious. So you're doing all this stuff like, you know, your, your professional life has taken off. But your private life's kind of taken off too. Um, you're going out. You're drinking more. Your family's in Florida, uh, so you're, so you're living a bit by yourself in a, a English basement in Dupont Circle. Um, did you feel like? At what point did you feel like your personal life was sort of getting out of control a little bit? Just uh, the the grind of it all. Um, I I was I was drinking a lot and obviously making piss poor decisions and um there would be times where after a a, a second espresso a third espresso in the day where i'm like i'm dragging a little today you know maybe i'm not in my 20s anymore and um there were there are moments where you start thinking like you know i haven't seen my wife or child in days i my calls to my father began to to taper off and that's when i kind of started taking a look around and assessing hey maybe 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 it's a little out of control. Maybe you're out too late. Maybe you're making these dumb decisions. And of course I was. And um, then it all came crashing down. When did you start doing cocaine once you got to D.C.? Uh, it, was mo- it was months before my bust. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say for the record because in both my book uh, and here, I do know that I've got a young child who will be listening and reading attentively soon. So while I don't go into details, let me let me just be as clear as I can. I was I was partying, you know, every f- few weeks, I'd say. And um, and I was I was buying. I was drinking too much and, and like a complete moron, like a complete idiot. Not only was I making the choice uh, to go and do illicit substances to break the law as a lawmaker, uh, but I like an idiot. 
uh, purchased it. Uh, and I would get made fun of that later. They're like, hey, man, why didn't you send staff to go get it? I'm like, I didn't even send staff to go pick up a – I didn't send staff to get a cup of coffee for me. I go do it. That's, uh, staff, that's the unfortunate the part of my you personality. For that decision. That's why you have interns. So, you know? I'm curious. Was there – when you started to do this, was there any hesitation? Like when you started buying cocaine, did you ever – was there a moment where you thought, I should not be doing this? Or was it just yeah, sort of – Of course. Of course. Okay. Here's, here's the problem in the lifestyle that I was living. Um, I would go out and drink a lot. And when you drink a lot, like, you know, like the old saying or, you know, it's, it's, it's liquid courage. And I never, ever, ever in my life could, ever did that stuff sober. Um, I, it just, it was never even a, a thought that crossed my head. But if I went out and I was going out a lot in DC, I would start my night at, I would work my tail off all day. And I don't have a, any dumb cliche like I was working hard and playing harder. I was doing both equally in insane amounts. I was working my ass off and partying my ass off. And I then at five o'clock it rolled around, I'd have some beers. Six or seven, you're out at a fundraiser, have some cocktails. Eight, finish up another little uh, get-together with some other members of Congress. And where I was different and an idiot compared to everybody other everybody else in Congress is I would then end up going out with friends that I made off the hill that had nothing to do with politics, where I didn't have to be a politician or talk about dumb shit like tax reform or, or uh, you know, incentives or whatever. I could just go be, you know, talk about sports and music. And then I started making really bad decisions. You know, one of the things in your book that really caught my attention, uh, you're hanging out with uh, John. Uh, his name's not John, but uh, it's it's the name of the guy who would do drugs. And you go out sure. to a club in D.C. and you get, you know, you get, get to cut the line. You go to the back uh, to a table. You're sitting around getting bottle service. And you, you write in the book that you – in that moment you felt um, like – you were doing something stupid that people would see you and pictures would be taken and uh, you become infamous. And then John, I guess, turns to you and says, you know, something to the extent of Trey, no one knows who you are here. Um, and I thought it was profound because it seemed like uh, you felt like you there were there were two lives you were living that were separable, that, that no, you could be a private person still even while being a congressman. And I'm wondering if that's how you felt. Yeah, I, at that moment in the book and at that night at that club is where I begin to say – he he says, you know, nobody knows who you are and I then begin to think about you're right. Who the hell am I and what the hell am I doing? I mean, you know, I I, I was in my 30s in Congress and uh, – you know, it's it, that that's no excuse for still going out to a club here or there. But, you know, I'm a member of Congress. I'm partying. I'm going out to these clubs where – which are dominated mostly by people in their upper 20s in D.C. And I, I just am looking around at people, you know, shaking their ass and bottle service and dudes in t too tight of T-shirts with – fucking tribal, tribal tats on their biceps and I'm like, who are these people? What am I doing? Uh, and and that is – yeah. The, but the problem is, is while I may have questioned myself in that moment, where in the book I talk a little bit about my background of how I've lived an occasionally insane life. Um, I, did, I stopped going to clubs but – you know, as as it would all catch up with me, I did not stop some of my bad habits. Well, why don't you take us through the night of your arrest and and what led up to it? You started out of the night with you know fellow politicians, I think Kevin McCarthy at Ruth Chris Steakhouse, and and then and then what happened? 
Yeah, it was, you know, again, Kevin is another guy that I, I've, I feel like I broke his heart. And he was, he, uh, we went out to dinner that night, had a big uh, event, and um, it was fun. Of course, I whacked down. One of the red flags that night was at Ruth's Chris, where I didn't, I walked into Ruth's Chris. I'm laughing because I'm laughing at myself, but I walk into Ruth's Chris, and the server uh, hands me my cocktail before I even ask for it. Because I'd been there and, and had cocktails before. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe a red flag. So I ignored that red flag and had more cocktails. <laughs> uh, and, the, uh, and then I called my buddy and I went to DuPont Circle where I lived and he – you went you to know, Circa. Was like, hey man, we're gonna, yep, we're gonna, we're gonna hang tonight. I, my buddy's coming by. He's gonna swing by with some stuff, and uh, and you know, not only of course that night. So guy shows up to the bar. Not only did I make the idiotic decision again after you know, and, and I'm very open that of course I'd been doing this for, I you know, I'd, I'd done it off and on in my life here and there, and that night. Not only did I make the asinine decision to purchase narcotics, um, but I bought it. And what an idiot. I mean, here I am in public, a, a lawmaker, a congressman, a Republican wanted that. You know, that my party, while I, again, get a little social uh, libertarian or liberal, this is the party that stands for church and God and the Bible and family values. And I, uh, I made I, – I bought it and – from that moment on, I destroyed family relationships, relationships with my friends, and relationships with my colleagues in Congress, and uh, and I wrecked my career. What was and what was the I first said, thought that went through your head when those agents descended upon you? My life is over. What what the hell just happened? Uh, now I now I was pretty drunk at the time. I had been whacking down beers, five o'clock uh, on the hill. Uh, I had had multiple cocktails at that event at Ruth's Chris, and I was I was loaded. There's no other way to put it. And again, this is a reflection of a lifestyle that I had just gotten neck deep in. Yeah. But you seem to and, you seem to uh, immediately sort of bunker down a little bit. Like you 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 brought them to your house to get off the street. And then for the next couple of days, you just didn't tell anybody. And then you even had this idea that popped in your head uh, when you were talking to your lawyer that, you know, your legal name is Henry and maybe no one would notice. I mean, why do you think your mind went to that place? As let me, let me tell you, I was, I was in – Sam, I was an insane person and I mean that in a very dark way. I was in the darkest moment of my life that lasted – for weeks. And when you go through that kind of thing where you realize that at any moment, your entire life is not only going to blow up, but it's going to be played out in Huffington Post and every other news agency in the world, some dark thoughts go through your head. And they did mine. And I, and I, had, I, you know, I contact an attorney and I'm trying to find like, is there any way that this can go away? Is there anything we can do? And then reality hits and uh, and the news breaks conservative u.s congressman busted for cocaine pretty shocking story republican congressman from florida congressman trey radel tell you it's sort of something more out of the house of cards than uh, you know fiction than, than something that really happens these days in congress but if i had dark like thoughts then is, uh, for the next year i would go through a very 
very tough time in life of not only, you know, trying to come to terms with what I had done and who I was, but of course, repairing the relationship with my wife, trying to be a good father to my son and, um, and, uh, making it up to my father who was just, uh, God sent through it all. And, you know, one of your, your heroes, Boehner, what was, tell us the story about how you were wanted to tell him before the news broke and you kind of came up short. Yeah. I'm glad you guys said I was about to start pulling a little Boehner and getting a little tears in my eyes here. Um, so I, uh, the, the news comes down. Uh, the attorney tells me, look, this is all going to break. Uh, tomorrow you need to get to D.C. To sum it up very quickly, I get to D.C. I'm sitting in the parking lot uh, outside of the Capitol. And I've only informed at this point um, my chief of staff and just a very few select other people, obviously family and all that. I'm sitting in the parking lot and uh, my chief of staff has made an appointment with me, an emergency meeting for me to meet with the speaker so I can tell him face to face. And that's all I wanted to do with Speaker Boehner was tell him face to face of, of the massive colossal mistake I had made. So I'm sitting in the car and sure enough, Dave's email and text, my chief of staff, his phone just blows up and uh, a, a reporter had found out about it, called him and um, and he just looks at me and he turns and he goes, run, run now. And I bolt up the Capitol steps <laughs> with my jacket blowing behind me like I'm Superman. I fly around the corner. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I'm like, I'm going to get the Boehner. I'm going to get the Boehner. And I then feel my phone buzz. Text comes through. It's a screenshot. Trey Radel busted for co- buying cocaine or whatever the headline was. And I just stop. I walk to Boehner's office. I walk in there. And as soon as I go through the door, like every head turns like, oh, my God, there he is. And I go to meet with the speaker, and um, it, it was it was a very tough time for me because I could see in his piercing blue eyes that I, I let him down. I let him down in a really terrible way. He was very, very under, not I don't know if the word understanding is right, but he just looked at me and he said, Trey, you obviously have a problem. And it, at that time, we were just about to break for Congress. This is right before the holidays. We, I think we only had one more scheduled vote left. He, he mentioned all that and very quickly said, Trey, go home, get yourself checked into a place and get better. Did you leave knowing that – I mean, did he tell you at that time that you shouldn't run again? No. That came next. So, like in any – so I go back. Uh, I go I, – I do uh, – I begin my whole soul-searching thing. I do rehab. I begin going to AA meetings. All of this becomes a part of my life. And I say, you know what? I am healthy enough and in a good enough spot to go back to Congress and do my job. I love what I do. I love serving. And I want to, I want to work. I want to work and I want to get back to work now. So I go back there and um, I have all these meetings scheduled with Democrats and Republicans, which is kind of like an apology tour. And there's a whole bizarre twist uh, that I write about, about sitting with Steve Sutherland, where I become part Kanye West, part biblical preacher. And he has me come to Jesus and all of this kind of stuff. I go through other meetings where people were very understanding. And some of the other members of Congress were just kind of cold. Like, you know what? You shouldn't be here. You should not be here. 
I think you should resign. I went through all that. I meet with the speaker and the speaker then says to me, Trey, um, you what you need to do is announce you're not going to run again. I don't know what if that's going to bring off any heat or not, but you need to say that. And hopefully it'll ease up and you can serve out your last year here in the United States Congress. And um, I tried. And then I began to get death threats. I had the media outside my door every day. Uh, and the final sort of uh, problem and issue that I would have never been able to overcome was an ethics investigation uh, that was not there to investigate me partying too hard. The inv- ethics investigation, as I lay out in the book, was for nothing more than to push me out. There were requests there that were impossible to meet. Not only that, they asked me to list every single person that I had, for example, let's say smoke pot, which I did first at, you know, in late high school and in college. They wanted me to list every name of every person I'd ever done it. So I'm envisioning like dudes who are in their 40s right now with a wife and kids at home <laughs> and this becoming public knowledge. Trey Radel in, in 1990-whatever listed that he smoked pot with Joe Schmo in Chicago. Like, Yeah, so, but- the twist, uh, look, Trey. The twist was who was chairing the ethics committee. So yeah, that was so. Once the inv- ethics investigation began, my attorney mailed me the document that listed all of these insane questions I went through, and I just looked, took a look, and peeked at the top of the letterhead, and the chairman of the ethics committee was none other than Mike Conaway. And while sheep shearing may not be particularly exotic, and may from folks in Florida may be uh, uh, beneath them. You were doomed. The guy who the only only guy ever never that go after I had sheep ever pissed off, Never go after that sheep ever, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, but think about. It. I mean, you could have put Nancy Pelosi on there, and I think that she would have been like, you know, in her cold, calculated, monotone voice. Trey Radel's a good man. I think that we can work with him. But uh, but of course, it was Mike, Mike Conaway, and yeah. I. <laughs> I didn't even try. I said, that's it. I was in I was in DuPont Circle. It was freezing cold. I'm fumbling with my phone. I read that name. I called my attorney and said, I'm done. I'm out. And that so, was it. So, <laughs> you know, I think that from my takeaway from your story and, and I guess the book itself is, I mean, what you're conveying here is that like politicians are like actually human beings. Like they got nuance. They have frailties. There's areas of gray. And in a way, your story is kind of an embodiment of that. Um but you know, well, I'm, first of all, is that your point? And second of all, um, you know, do you think that we're ever going to get to a, a place where voters really recognize that and voters uh, lower their expectations of politicians that they don't demand purity and so on and so forth? Let me start with that. I do believe that. I think that that's a great question of will we ever so – while we, we sit here, we tell our, our members of Congress and politicians, you need to be more real. You need to be more human. We want to see that side of you. Um, but as soon as they do, somebody tells an off-color joke, somebody says something stupid, somebody loses their temper, and then suddenly everybody's out there to, to kill them and get them out of it. You can't serve public office ever again. Um but here's what I believe. I think that the political pendulum swings in this country. We're seeing it right now. We've seen it from George W. Bush to President Obama to Donald Trump and what's happening right now. But I think it's my hope that what also swings is the temperament of the American people. 
It is so insane to me how we pick and choose sides as if everybody is a clear-cut Republican or Democrat. And it's ignorant, ignorant stereotypes that each side places on each other. If you are a Republican, you hate minorities. Democrat, you hate America. It's such BS. What's worse, to take it a step further, is how we'll find a little cause and then begin to put people in boxes. Perfect example, Black Lives Matter. I personally think that Black Lives Matter starts from a great place of people who feel disenfranchised, people who feel targeted in our country. But damn it, I'm a Republican. I can't I can't say those types of things. If you like Black Lives Matter, you hate cops. If you like cops, you hate black people. What's going on in this country right now is not only hyperpartisan politics, but but culturally we've become hyperpartisan. But I guess my question is my question is this is like do you think that um as a country, we could ever get to a point where uh, an instant like yours uh, would not be a career killer, that people could you know, stomach a member of Congress being caught buying cocaine, recognize that it was a mistake and be able to move on and not make it a big deal? Well, with the war on drugs and drugs are, are one thing. Um, I do believe that there are – there is a much more of a – an empathy and even sympathy for people who go through rough phases, whether they declare themselves, I'm a full-blown alcoholic, I quit it all, or people who make, uh, who drink too much, have a DUI, whatever. I think that, yes, that society is moving forward with more sympathy and empathy for that. A self-proclaimed hip-hop conservative sent in his letter of resignation. A hip-hop conservative, that, those that can't go to... Together. I'm a smooth jazz anarchist. It doesn't. He's saying he's stepping down because he wants to respect the honor of the office he was voted into. And people standing next to Mayor Rob Ford were like, Personally, I hate to lose a congressman so fiscally conservative that I'm sure he snorted his blow through a $1 bill. Do you think you'll run again? No, I'm never. No. And the reason I could write to my crazy (laughs) was because I'm never, ever running for office again. I I wouldn't. I'm not going to do it. No. If I'm blessed with any small little megaphone, if you will, or platform, um, I just hope that I can use whatever I do to do what I do in the book, which is really show that, again, Democrats and Republicans are both overwhelmingly not good people, great people. Uh, it, we just need to take a step back and have a little understanding for each other. And look, I'm a, damn, I sound like a pot-smoking liber- liberal uh, hippie <laughs> from fucking Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, 1969. But uh, whatever. I'm a Republican, damn it. <laughs> That was former Florida Representative Trey Radel, the cocaine congressman. Now, Candidate Confessional is produced and edited by Zach Young, who makes me remind you every week that he also wrote our theme music. Thanks also to Nick Offenberg in the New York office for helping us out with the recording this week. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and spread the word. Next week, we talk to Jason Kander, the 2016 Missouri Senate candidate who produced easily the most memorable political ad of that year. I approve this message. Because I'd like to see Senator Blunt do this. All right.
Trey, thank you so much, thank man. You, man. I know you got to run. Appreciate it. Thank All you. right. Hey, thank you. I know a little bit of a whirlwind, but this is fun, and you guys stay in touch, okay? All right. Take Thanks care, a lot. Bye. Take care. Good catching up. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.